Welcome to Remember When. I remember I was at his house. I, I can remember specifically. Do you recall uh, when you got yours? Remember when they played that? Remember I remember that. that. Basic. I remember yep. that. Then I remember, um, still remember. I remember us. And I remember, I remember that. I remember, I remember, but, I remember uh, that. Uh, I remember that. Is he, he was a star when he was eating uh, a bologna sandwich at a truck stop. Guns N' Roses versions of White Christmas. That's not a thing. <laughs> Have you heard Guns N' Roses White Christmas? I remember um, you felt horrible. And I was, that was a I real did. happy. No. And, and he's performing like 200 dates a year. <laughs> I mean, hair metal needed to die when it died. Wasn't Bad. there a, a Steve? Wasn't there something with a dog? Break down really quick. Warren Cherry Pie versus versus uh, GNR. Uh, uh, Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We are back for another episode of Remember When. What is up, Steve? What's going on, Scott? Good to hear you, man. You too. Hey, had a lot of fun last week. Um, really enjoyed having our guest, Tim Williams. It was really cool to uh, talk about backyard wrestling, some of our professional wrestling history back at Oxford. I, I, it was a it was just great having him on. It was a lot of fun. I think we talked another half hour, 45 minutes after uh, we stopped recording too, right? It was, that was a big part of our, uh, our childhood or, you know, teenage years. And it was, that was great uh, sharing those stories with them. No, it was great. Just again, you know, those guys really were ahead of their time. I, I, you know, when I go back and you say that these guys were doing this really without any knowledge of anyone else around them doing it, it was, it was pretty cool. It was pioneering and uh, pretty cool. So, you know, I'd like to potentially have him and, and Gene on in a future uh, episode. We could do like a part two and, and talk about some other items there. But pretty cool. Um, that's something else that's going to continue here in 2019. Just so everyone knows kind of our upcoming schedule um, next week. Uh, the plan is we're going to have another special guest on and we're going to be discussing the ban the eagles which was a favorite of all of ours growing up in oxford in the uh, 90s so that that should be a fun one as well yes it will so yeah uh kind of to today uh a new subject this is actually coming from a request from one of our listeners um it's always good when we do have uh people out there listening uh, more than just you and i so that's always good <laughs> And um, one of the requests was, why don't you guys do a, a one-hit wonder episode? So we thought that'd be kind of fun. I know you and I have kind of been uh, digging around, um, looking at some lists, looking at some some songs from uh, from our catalog, and uh, I'm prepared, and I think this should be a fun one. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what, what, what does a one-hit wonder mean? What what is what is the true mathematical definition of a one hit wonder? Does one exist? Yeah, it's a good one, and I'm sure everyone's probably going to have a little bit of a different definition of that. And I'm sure by some of the song choices I picked for this, I'm sure there may be a few people throwing their hands up saying that's not a one hit wonder. But um, you know, it, it you know one hit wonder could be hey they had one song that ever charted. It could be, hey, they had one that was maybe for a generation that 
really stands the test of time. Um, I probably kind of got both of those in my list. What What is your definition, Steve? Yeah, I, well, it's similar to what you said. Uh, I always felt, and I was thinking about this as we were preparing. Um, uh, I don't know about you, Scott, but Billboard top top forty and top ten was a big deal for me. Like I would study that when I was like in elementary school. Did you get into that? The Casey Kasem top ten and top forty. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was great. I mean, they even had a show. Yeah. I think it was on Saturday mornings. It was. it was like before American Bandstand. And that was a big deal to hear the top 10 billboard of that week. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, I think I was probably in high school before I realized that there was a billboard magazine that had like the top 100. You didn't have to uh, sit and, and watch half an hour of TV or or listen to the three-hour uh, top 40 radio show with uh, Casey Kasem. Uh, but yeah, it was a big deal. And so so, uh, yeah, I always felt it was somebody that the, the quintessential one hit wonder would be somebody who had like a top 10 uh, hit, but then never charted in the top 100 outside of that. Something like that. And like you said, I don't think it's there's a perfect definition. Um, I wanted to give a little credit. There's a guy uh, by the name of Walt Hickey on 538.com. Uh, a few years ago, he he did a one hit wonder uh, for classic rock, a, a one hit wonder list. He got a little bit more analytical. I thought this was cool where he he tracked, I think, 25 radio stations and uh, grouped uh, grouped it together by artists and looked at artists that had, I think it was 80% or more of their plays uh, only being one song. So I thought that was, mm. yeah, that was an interesting uh, way of doing it. And some of it's a bit surprising. Um, some of it's not. Um, but I thought that was kind of neat to take a maybe more modern. We've got this data available today, a little bit more modern uh, uh, look at, uh, at what a one-hit wonder is. One more question before we get started. One-hit wonder, is that a negative term? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it means if I'm a band, uh, you know, you can look at it two ways. You can say, hey, I only made it once. But the way I look at it is you made it at one point. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, it's on a list for a reason. And typically these one hit wonders, if you quote unquote, if you want to call them that, they had an impact on a generation, had impact on a very large group of people. So I would say if you're in that category, that's a good thing. Yeah, hey, I'm with you. Yeah, better to uh, better to be a has been than to uh, to be a never has been at all. Is that the saying? Anyway, uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and I think as we get into this, my thought we just go back and forth, no particular order, but. Um, I think we're going to both probably have unique maybe definitions of our own when we decided to come up with these lists. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to go ahead or would you like me to start here? You start us off. Okay. I'm going to start with one. Um, and this is going to kind of tie in a little bit to last week's um, podcast. And I'm going to start out right away with... Rick Derringer's rock and roll <laughs> hoochie coo. Mm. <laughs> now, you know, the song actually uh, originally came out. Uh, if you knew this, he was affiliated with uh, Edgar Winter and Johnny Winter and so forth. Um, it originally was uh, recorded by, uh, he wrote it for a Johnny Winter's band back in 1970. Didn't really do much. Um, but he re-released it on his own and his debut album in 1973. And it, it, it actually got all the way up to number 23. 
the song is a fun song. I mean, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Um, but it's, uh, I was surprised actually it was that old of a song. Um, but go ahead, go ahead. Do you have something to say there, Steve? No, I was just going to say, yeah, I thought it's always a fun song. It's it's kind of one of those. I, I did. I wouldn't have thought it's that old either. But it's 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 just one of those rock and roll songs. Just good, fun, fun. You know, rock rock song. I don't think it's a particularly long song or a classic per se. Right. But it's one of those songs that it's got a catchy uh, some catchy lyrics and uh, and it's uh, it's something that most people would know. Yeah, now the other thing is, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, um, but Rick Derringer actually um, was involved back in the 60s with the band The McCoys. <laughs> and he was the front man, front man for uh, Hang On Sloopy. Are you serious? Yes. I didn't know that. And, uh, you know, I lived in Columbus, Ohio, worked at, at the Ohio State University, went there, worked there for a long time. And so the McCoys with, uh, yeah, Hang On Sloopy. In fact, the band I, I was in, that's almost a staple and the band. We always hated playing it, but people go nuts for that song. So, wow. Yeah. They're, they're like legends. Well, the McCoys are legendary around uh, Columbus, Ohio. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I really love that song. And, um, but it's funny, not till I got down here. Well, of course, you find out more. You being in Columbus and now me being in Cincinnati, there's a ton of people that are obviously yeah. affiliated with the Ohio State University. Why don't you kind of talk a little bit about, do you know, kind of the tie in there with Ohio State? Um, I have, but I have forgotten it. So if you know it, go ahead. Well, my understanding is they played it once when this song was released back in 65. When I say they, the Ohio State Marching Band, they wanted to play it during a football game. And I guess they finally convinced someone to play it. And like you said, I think now it's just kind of become a staple and identified with Ohio State, which makes me like the song a little bit less now, <laughs> now that I know that. But um, but they play it before the fourth quarter of every home game. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, see, yeah. I, I didn't even know exactly when they play it, but uh, oh yeah, they get the OHIO going, and it's a, it's a big deal. Um, it's the lyrics when we sang in the band, you know, I had to learn the the verses, and uh, it's a little, I don't know, it, it had some lyrics that I didn't really realize, but yeah, uh, it's cool that Rick Derringer is a part of it, but not a, not a song that I go out of my way to listen to. Well, yeah, and, and so kind of going where I where I'm really kind of going with the whole Rick Derringer thing here is is really I almost backtracked to this song in my youth because where I first got exposed to Rick Derringer was WWF right in 1985, on. the wrestling album. Yep, same here, same and, exactly. And so he produced that album. Yeah. For for you there out there, I'm not sure if, if you know what WWF did. And again, this is all the Vince McMahon marketing. After WrestleMania 1, they released their own album. And many of the wrestlers had their own theme songs they sang on. But um, Rick Derringer actually sang the song, which now is well known as Hulk Hogan's theme song, um, I Am a Real American. Yeah. Now. I'm sure you probably know this being the wrestling historian you are, but did you know what that song was originally uh, meant to be uh, re released for? Which, which wrestler or wrestlers? Oh, the, uh, the uh, U S express, right? Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda. 
Yeah, 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 that was actually their their song, and about a month after it was released, they left for the NWA. Yeah, so that was going to be their theme songs for the U.S. Express, and and it was funny, I, you know. And and one more thing along with this, going to and we'll get to the next song here. But the other thing that was kind of funny is on that song on that album, Hulk Hogan has his own theme song that was made for that for him. Ah, I don't remember that. Well, and you know what? I had to look it up because it just says, like, Hulk's theme. Well, the song is actually, he came out to a little bit, um, but it was actually the theme song. If you remember the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling okay. cartoon on Saturday mornings, yep. Yep. it's that song that is actually, uh, that was supposed to be his theme song. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I didn't know all that. Uh, I can still remember that quote uh, by Jesse the Body Ventura. I wish Rick Derringer would have stayed buried with rock and roll hoochie coo. Yeah, exactly. So I always remember hearing all that. And then I got really excited after the fact, a song that was 15 or 12 years older. When you start hearing that, you're like, this is Rick Derringer. It's, you know, it was backwards, right? Everyone else knew the song. This was like, cool. But, um, you know, he produced that album, and then actually he produced their second album, which was Pile Driver. And you know what other song he sang? On Pile Driver? Yeah. No. This is crazy. I didn't really realize this. You know he did Demolitions theme song? He sang that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good song, too. It's a great song. (laughs) It's got some nice guitar riffs in that. And, uh, yeah. Oh, this is this is great. That's so funny. Um, well, I remember the, the original wrestling album. They they had like commentary in between songs, and you know they they act as if you know Rick Derringer producing their album was like you know George Martin producing them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm, right. I'm not sure that uh, producers were or artists of any sort were exactly tripping over themselves to make a wrestling album, but uh, <laughs> right, Rick. They either knew Rick Derringer somehow or he needed some little extra money or something but uh that's that a real american song man that's that's a great song and man if if you're our age and you watch wrestling it is uh you know i oh gosh not to go off on another wrestling tangent but i you know i always say i never saw anything and never saw a reaction to a live crowd like hulk hogan when that song would play and he would come out of the dressing room down to the ring man i mean the, the places would just go crazy whenever it, it was just some charisma, some, you know, other dimension, man. It, it was something special that he had. And that music was an important part of it. Oh, it was, you knew who it was. Um, you know, this is something else real tag along on a real American that um, when he was, I don't know if you remember this, I don't. And I actually ran across it when I was doing this research is back when he was feud with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Um, in 86 Orndorff was using this song as an entry level uh, entry level I keep saying that ring entrance song to mock him because <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he, he claimed he was the real American oh you know I, I think I saw that after the fact like on videotapes or something because I didn't watch that when it was happening but <laughs> that's oh that's funny yeah, well, Rick Rick Derringer, rock and roll, hoochie coo. Yeah, I mean, heck, I mean, anyone our parents' generation, they're going to know that song, and probably even most people, most people our age too. Yep, 
So yeah, there you go. Yeah. On to you. All right, all right. So uh, one I'm going to throw out there, and this is kind of a twofer uh, in a way. Um, a song that uh, I loved for uh, you know back. I think WCSX would would play this uh, Canadian rock band Red Rider. Uh, and oh this yeah, song, the song Lunatic Fringe. I always oh. I always felt that song. It had some type of I, you know, effects on the guitars and the vocals, and it's just a straight-up rock song. Oh, it's so good. And then why this is a bit of a twofer is um, I think that song came out in 86, um, and um, I remember maybe 84, but I remember uh, then in 92 the song, the Tom Cochran song, Life is a Highway. Um, I remember that song because it, it stuck out to me at the time because it's just a pretty much straight ahead having a good time driving down the road put your window down just you know straight up rock song at a time and we've talked about some of the era when things were changing i remember it kind of standing out like almost like wow this guy just just made a made a you know you know straightforward rock song and like it became a hit and and the guy's vocals great i remember the video and uh, so as it turns out tom cochran i didn't know this till you know, years later, he's actually uh, the the lead singer of Red Rider. And then, if you listen to it, the styles of the the songs are much different. But it's that same good good voice. So, um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that song, but it's one of those that I'll I'll always pull out and listen to. You know, it's always a good one if you want to work out or something like that. It's just a really, really, uh, really fun song. No, it's a great song, and uh, no, I think that's a it's a great definition of Red Right you know, of a one hit wonder. Um, I didn't really realize till you said this. I I never put two and two together with Tom Cochran. Um, I never did. Um, I did look a little bit, and and now that I'm in Cincinnati and I've been down here a few years, it's funny. The um, the rock station down here, one hundred two point seven, I believe it was launched in the eighties. And their tag is the Lunatic Fringe. Hmm. And they still go by that. And it is after that song. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And, they st- and I was listening to it today, and they still use that as the tagline, the Lunatic Fringe. What? And- go ahead. No. Um, and then as far as we were talking a little bit earlier about Billboard and, and Casey Kasem, um, I didn't have cable again in Oxford till really like 89. And I remember this again, the life is a highway. Um, that song really being on that countdown. And that was a big deal then. I mean, that mm. song was huge. Yeah, it was, it was. And then of course, uh, of course, and let me, let me correct myself. Lunatic French came out in 81. So that, that actually makes a little more sense. But, um, uh, then a few years ago, a country band, uh, uh, covered a life as a highway, kind of gave it a second, second life. It was in one of the cars movies, I believe yep. the Pixar. Okay. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. Cars one or two at my kids, whatever, whichever one it was, they went through a period where they watched it. Um, and it's actually, it's a little country tinged, uh, version, but it's pretty, pretty close to the original. And, uh, it's still, it's, it's just, it's just a good song. So, uh, you know, and I was reading up on Tom Cochran a little bit, um, as a lot of these Canadian artists, uh, tend to do when you look through it, uh, when you, when you re- look at them, you know, they can become pretty big celebrities in Canada, which of course, 
you know, large countries, much smaller market, but it seems like he's done pretty well, even after these, these bands and these iterations has done a lot of good things and seems like he's been pretty, pretty successful, but, uh, you know, he's a great, that'd be somebody if he's ever, uh, you know, at a, at a club or something like that, if he still tours, I don't know, but. I, I would just guess from what I little I know of his music, there'd be some, uh, it'd be a good, good night to, uh, to just hear some rock and roll. Yeah. You would hear that with those guys for sure with him. Yeah, no, that was, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, here's another one for you. And, and so this is where the, the one hit wonder controversy can come into play <laughs> because um, really this band the song I'm going to mention isn't their true um, highest billboarding song, but I'm kind of use, I'm putting in some bias here and and putting in my own genre. And I'm going to say one is kind of a rock. And I'm going to say the other one is more of a pop. So I'm going to go with, and, and and I had this, and it was funny. The reason I'm putting this on my list is because when we start talking about doing this show, maybe a month ago, when I was on in, in the car listening or whatever, I would start making lists. And this was the first one that was on my list. And, uh, cause I always love this song. It's the, it's the Greg Kinban, the breakup song. Oh yeah. We had broken up for good just an hour before. Uh, 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 uh-huh. So love that song. Um, now I'm going to say that's a rock song. Um, I've always loved that song, but a lot of people may or may not realize they actually had a hit that was bigger and it actually went to number two. The, the breakup song went to number 15 in 1981. Okay. In 1983. Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yeah. Jeopardy went to number two. Now I kind of put that in the pop arena. Now that song is bigger. So you could argue that's the, that's the one hit wonder. Um, it's obviously famous for its video. Um, but it was really in the MTV era. I know you've got some experience with that song. Another good song. Oh yeah, uh, but I put that more in a pop pop end. But that, people may be upset with me on that. But that's just kind of my my take on that. Um, the first one being more of a classic rock song. You're not going to hear Jeopardy on ninety four point seven WCSX. You are going to hear the breakup song. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and let me know your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, um, that was one that that came up when I was looking around, and um, as I've mentioned a couple times, uh, played with some different bands of of coworkers for fun uh, over the last five years or so. And one of the early iterations of our band, we played um, the breakup song. And uh, I played guitar on it, so you know that at least the rhythm riff, riff had to be pretty easy if I could play it. Um, <laughs> and and I sang it, and that's that's one of those songs that it it never really gets old. It's got some cool lyrics. It's it's just it's got a, it's got a good guitar sound. It's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. The um, and it went in our band when we were talking, we we're like, man, this song is so good. Who was this guy? I don't know. We found uh, the Jeopardy. Uh, song as well and uh, never thought that that was anywhere near what the breakup what the breakup song is um but the jet you mentioned the jeopardy video what what was the 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 plot of that video or what was that the treatment sir for that video yeah it was well our love is in jeopardy 
baby. Well, so it was basically a guy that's getting getting ready to get married and getting cold feet. He's up at the altar. He's all freaked out because, you know, <laughs> he's getting married forever. So that was kind of the gist of it. Um, getting cold feet at the altar, basically. All right. Yeah. I don't, I, I'll be honest. I don't really remember that video, but I don't know about anything about Greg, uh, Greg Kinn either. Is he, um, you know, is he still alive? Is he, did he go on to do other stuff? I don't know. I, I did a little bit of looking up. I mean, not a ton. I mean, I know he did some opening, um, for journey, you know, the grateful dead. Um, so he, you know, he has been some opening acts, um, but, uh, I don't think he did much else. Just kind of, a just a classic rocker, you know, yeah. but, uh, and if you guys remember weird Al did the parody of jeopardy, I lost oh, in jeopardy. That was right. another thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I lost on jeopardy. That's right. Okay. Well, kind of interesting there that, uh, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, yeah, and, and for the audience out there too, I apologize. My uh, my vocals aren't exactly up to par. So you know, if I even I I mentioned that song, if you guys don't know a song, and we you're like, what is that song or who's that artist? I suggest you Google it, and you'll you'll probably know the song. If if I haven't done a very good job, which you know, humming it out for you. But no, I mean a lot of these songs. I mean they, that's why they call them one hit wonders. You know? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that breakup song. That's that's a that's a great song. Um, all right. I got one for you here and this one might be a little, a uh, little controversial, but, uh, as I looked, um, I, I think it, you know, it falls under the definition of, of one hit wonder and that is, uh, all right now by the band free. It's, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, and I, and I, I didn't put it on my list, but I will consider that a one-hit wonder because it's from the band Free, yeah. and I'll let you get into kind of the the, the backstory there. Yeah. So, um, if if anybody, well, I guess if you've not lived uh, lived under a, a, a rock, um, you know of Paul Rogers and Bad Company, and this was uh, Free was the first band that that he fronted. With um, uh, Simon Kirk, who who went on to Bad Company as well, right? And I think he was kind of built out of the. Uh, there's some I, there's some evolution of Free into into Bad Company, who actually signed. Uh, they were the first artist on uh, Led Zeppelin Swan Song label. Um, but I've always thought that I, I, I was trying to find this and I couldn't, so I, I might not be completely right on this, but I, I was thinking that my first, uh, time here and all right now was on a beer commercial. Um, regardless of whether that's true or not, I think all right now, and I've said this for years, there's, if, 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 if somebody came down from another planet and said, you know, what is the definition of classic rock? I think I, this is a song I would play. Oh yeah. Well, you know, another thing of this too, do you remember, I mean, specifically in, uh, when we, we talked earlier on a podcast, we went to Chicago and called our, our, our parents collect. Do you remember that was a song we probably played? 800 times back to back to back on Lake Michigan drive. No, I, I don't remember that. That's hilarious. And I remember us just saying, this is the best cruising song there ever could be. And we just had the windows down yeah. driving down Lake Michigan drive, just repeating that song over and over and over. 
Oh, just, yeah. Well, I, you know what? I think, because this is funny, and we've talked about this some on the podcast. I, I, did I have, was it Free's Greatest Hits on tape? <laughs> it very well might have been. I think so. And, and the reason I remember that is because back, we, you know, we've talked about, you know, you go back and when, when albums were expensive and so forth, that was, I remember that was a big sacrifice to say, I don't remember listening to maybe one or two other songs on that album, but it, I just thought that all right now, which they played on classic rock radio frequently, but I just felt that I had a, it was worth buying that album just because of, of that one song. And um, I mean, if you just think of that opening guitar riff and then, oh. And then Paul Rogers is come. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I yeah. mean, it, it's just, it is, I don't think it's a long song either. I keep saying that about these songs, but um, it's, uh, oh man, it's, it's just, it's just so good. I know Paul Rogers and, and bad company is somebody that we've, uh, you know, we followed, you know, I guess since high school, uh, I know we've seen him in concert together. I know I saw Bad Company um, just a few years ago with Leonard Skinner. That was a fun show. And, uh, you know, he toured with Queen as well. But um, all right now, I, I I don't know. I would think it's one of those songs that almost anybody would know. I don't know if they would really know who sang it, though. No, you're you're right. You're right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the band Free, I mean – I don't know how many people know that. I mean, you know, bad company. Yeah. Um, but you know, your Paul Rogers might be identified, but no, that's truly a one hit wonder from the band free. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you know, another one you could throw in there. He's talking Paul Rogers is, uh, you know, another song. that's probably one of my favorites is, uh, the firm radioactive, radioactive with, yeah. him and, with him and Jimmy page, you know? Page, yeah. Yeah. That would, I, I think that would have to be a, a one hit wonder. Um, uh, and you know, I, I like that song, but to me, it doesn't, it, uh, it doesn't hold up to the, to the free song. And I mean, no, 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 yeah, not yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, not yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, no just, I'm not, I'm not putting it in the same category. No, I just actually, uh, uh, just actually played, uh, played the heartbreaker guitar solo for my daughter because I wanted to show her what some, uh, amazing guitar playing was. So no disrespect to you, uh, Mr. Page, who just had a birthday uh, recently, but um, I seventy five, I think. But uh, wow. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I could, I could listen. I guess if you said we were listening to that in Chicago, up and down uh, Michigan Avenue, uh, I could still, I could still do that. Just listen to that song over and over because it's, it's a great one. Well, I think. You know, the last few songs, Rick Derringer, maybe put him a little bit to the side, but I think the last three songs that we've mentioned here, um, they're songs I could listen over and over. They're just fun songs and they're just good songs. And and this one probably being the most heard one, to me, this song just doesn't get old. It just no. doesn't. No, no, it's... Uh... Yeah, whether you're at a bar or a sports game or a restaurant or a you know TV commercial, it, it doesn't matter. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be good. You know, and I was thinking as we, we as I was thinking about you know the definition of a one hit wonder. If you take the free song and you, you take at least a couple members of that band and what they did with Bad Company, and you know this is just kind of uh, this is a starting band, but really they have this lineage of decades of of great music. And it's 
interesting when you, you know, somebody like that versus somebody like, uh, uh, you know, Tom Cochran, maybe that is just is kind of a one and done or two and done or, you know, you just don't you don't know much about them afterward. And it's, it, you know, I think it's obvious when especially when you're a kid, you just think that anybody who ever, ever had a song on the radio, they become millionaires overnight, and never have to work again. But, you know, or that that, you know, record companies will still will keep we keep putting money uh, behind them to to try it and, and, and make more hits. And it just doesn't work that, that way. And, you know, they've got families and lives and trying to tour and everything like that. It can be, uh, you know, and that in some ways I think they're no different than, than the rest of us. And so it's just interesting, especially today, when you've got Wikipedia and different resources to study some of these people's lives. And then in the context of a one hit wonder, you know, some that was like, you know, a blip in their life and they've gone on and done 50 different things. And then, then others, you know, they've, they've had these songs and they're able to, to tour for the rest of their lives. Uh, just interesting how, how, how these, these hits uh, can affect, uh, affect some of their lives. Sure. No, no question. I'm going to stick with that same era here. I'm going to jump around later on here, but I'm going to, this is a true one hit wonder because there is nothing else. This band really produced that was noteworthy. Uh, they did have five studio albums, one live album. Um, People are going to have to look this one up because I sure did. Um, the band is called Head East, and the song is uh, Never Been Any Reason. And Steve, do you want to kind of, uh, do you know that little riff? <laughs> Am I going to put you on the spot? Save my life, I'm going down for the last time. That's all I'm doing. I hope everyone caught that because uh, you did a much better job than what I would have done. But no, that that is it. And um, I think uh, I, I think uh, it, it's just a great song. It's another one you hear occasionally on classic rock stations. And um, it's just a fun one. Um, they they just had the one song. It was just a bunch of buddies. I think they, they went to school at uh, um, University of Illinois. Um, or Illinois University, I forget which how you say that, but anyways, um, and they were just kind of a mid uh, west band. Um, this song kind of made it for them. Did nothing else, um, and just kind of went into obscurity. I think this song came out in '75. Um, the lead singer John Schlitt um, actually was fired from the band in '80, and um, I, I found this kind of interesting. He actually ended up joining. The um, the historic Christian rock band Petra, who had been around really since the seventies, oh, yeah. and he joined them in eighty six till their retirement in 05. He, uh Steve, I don't know if you've got any stories on Petra. Uh, well, then I guess I would have seen John Schlitt live before because I've seen Petra during that era one time. Um, and uh, yeah, I've had some of Petra's albums, and uh, yeah, they're kind of the. Uh, uh, you know, within Christian rock genre. I mean, they were kind of like the, I don't know, the Rolling Stones is way too, uh, uh, too strong of a comparison, but they're certainly the, you know, they've, the Godfathers they've, basically of, of the Christian go. rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think in many ways too, uh, you know, I think predated Striper by many years and yeah. uh, really, um, I think took a lot of, took a lot of crap for, for doing that, but oh yeah, I guess I have seen them then, but you know, that's a great song. Um, yeah, I keep talking about the, you know, playing with, uh, with different members 
members of my, my coworkers and bands. Uh, but the guitarist that I played with for a long time, he was in, uh, we were, like I said, we were a fun coworker band. Then he was in a quote unquote good real band. Uh, well, I'll say that about myself, not being good or real, but, um, he was in this band. <laughs> they, they just rocked. And, uh, this was a song that I know they covered. And I know the lead singer would tell the story about going to see head East, uh, in concert one time. Um, really? but yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know where they were from. Uh, I think this guy was in Ohio. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, it toured, toured the Midwest probably more than anywhere else. But, um, you know, this song, I just think of that, that, that drum. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great song. And then that baseline too, that doom, do, 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 do. It's, uh, there's never been any reason, you know? Yeah, it's got that shuffle sound to yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's man. It, I, I want to make now. I, you know, I thought we talked about this idea. We we had some silly songs and whatever, and those might come up. But man, so far, I want to I want to make like a uh, mixtape of, of these, these <laughs> songs because you know they, because I think because you know that's one thing uh, you have to wonder when somebody's a one hit wonder. When somebody has multiple hits, they kind of reinforce each other. I think, you know, it's kind of – it incentivizes you to dig into some different things. But these one-hit wonders, you got to think back in the day, they had one hit. Well, the, the record company is not going to invest a lot. So then they weren't – and then they weren't going to be in the radio as much and so forth. be kind of harder to find. And then, you know, I think just because of that, even today – when we have all these albums at our fingertips, it's still, you know, they're not top of mind, but, uh, man, when you talk about, uh, some of these songs we're talking about are great, great, great songs. They are. Absolutely. You're right. up. You're up. All right. All right. Let me see here. I'm thinking of what to cover here. I'll, I'll, I'll go with this one. Um, is it popped in my mind the other day and I listened to it a couple times and I thought, wow, this is a great song. Uh, On the Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Um, awesome just, song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I always felt, and I, I did a little research. I think it said it came out in '83. There was a movie, Eddie and the Cruisers, which I uh, I do not not remember. I looked it up. It didn't seem to do well um, necessarily at the at the box office. Did you ever uh, Did you ever see that movie, or you even remember it really? I, I do not. I do yeah. not remember. Okay. It. Okay. I'm looking here. I guess there was an Eddie and the Cruisers two in '89. But wow. Uh, <laughs> so, so the movie the movie came out in 83 and it was this fictitious band and i believe that this 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 uh this song was you know played or lip-synced or what have you in this uh this this fake band that was in the movie but then this uh john cafferty uh was the the real uh the real band behind it and i thought when i was a kid so we were eight or nine years old i thought or 10 or whatever i i thought it was a uh i thought it was springsteen uh right yeah i did too yeah, because it, it so you got you got to wonder uh, how much they might have uh, quote unquote borrowed from from Springsteen because it's got this it's got the sax solo like Clarence Clemens and uh, so it's got a very Springsteen uh, ish sound but um, it's it rocks man like I said I listened to it a couple times uh, in the past week and just thought yeah this is this is this is why I remember this song because it's it still holds up. No, nah, no question. That's a good one. You know, when you brought that to me uh, pre-show, I was like excited because that one I missed. And um, I'm glad you bring it up. That's a great song. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to add this this one to my uh, one hit wonder mixtape too. Yeah, can you yeah can you sh- shoot ship me one when you're uh when you're done putting that together? Yeah. Yeah, UPS me a copy. <laughs> hey, I uh, I told you this on text, but you know we talked our Christmas uh, Christmas songs, and we talked about the Christmas tape that I had. I actually found that in a in a drawer uh, after we talked. So I I almost ordered a tape player for twenty bucks on Amazon. <laughs> Right. Did what did your did your kid did your kids uh did they even know what that tape was? Did they did they did yeah, they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't care less. Although one time my son he was talking to me, he goes, Dad, man, I heard it was so cool back in the day. You had to use like scissors to like wind tapes up. Like he thought this was like some rite of passage <laughs> or something. I said, You kidding me? That sucked, you know. I remember, you know, my mom screaming, Let's go in the car and I'm trying to take my tape out of the tape deck and it's spinning and you know, you're winding it as you're running down the stairs. It was just always seemed to happen at the wrong time and then sometimes man they were ir- ir- uh, unrecoverable so uh no Eat i didn't tape. get yeah. your tape eaten yeah that wasn't fun or at least it would stretch it you know and then uh you know it would play but it would still but man i could sign i could uh surgically though repair those tapes man i uh i did some pretty uh i did you know you take the screws out i did some pretty big pretty big rescue operations back in the day well, I'll tell you, kind of, just kind of adding on to that a little bit, how I'm a little bit in the dark and just how I don't get out as much. Now, you're going to be all over this, but just uh, my wife and I went out and had, uh, we went at dinner the other night, just her and I, and um, I hadn't been to a record shop in years. I really haven't. I mean, I remember Broadway records and Lake Orion. That's kind of what my interpretation of uh, my vision of a record shop is. And, she, and there was a record shop, this small little downtown. We're like, let's walk in there. And I'm thinking... Um, probably a lot of used and older albums. <laughs> and uh, it's just amazing to me because I really haven't stepped foot in a record uh, store in years, how everything is vinyl now and it's all packaged new. Everything, yeah. everything okay. from today's artist to yesterday's artist, anything you want. Um, it is packaged as new with stickers, just like when we would buy tapes or CDs new. And, and obviously there's areas where you can sample them and just listen in the corner with headphones and everything. But it just kind of, for me, I hadn't been in one in quite a few years. And, and I don't know if you jumped on the vinyl, do you, do you have a record player or not? No. I don't. Um, I borrowed one from a coworker at one point and then decided it was too much hassle. But, um, you know, I'm in Portland, Oregon, lots of record stores around here. Sure. Yeah, they're fun. And, and, you know, they're expensive, right? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, these, these re-releases can be can be really, really expensive. But, uh, you know, there's one uh, not too far from my house I've gone to. Man, it's I don't know how many thousand square feet it is. It's huge. And it's uh, it's all vinyl or, you know, 80, 90 percent. uh vinyl uh the uh when we lived in ohio the the uh the the public library the area we lived had a new had added a record section a vinyl section and um it was great and they had a nice mix of of 60s 70s 80s and even more modern and uh i yeah i educated my kids and you forget how great the cover art is and you know, you pull right. off the sleeves, they have no idea, but, uh, that was, you know, and I've heard some people, I think they get a little bit too into that. Like, you know, as if like any digital music sucks and I certainly don't believe that, you know, um, you know, taking the packaging off, like, yeah, that was a great experience, but, um, yeah, at the same time, I think I'd take, uh, being able to listen to almost any, any music at any, at any time by talking into my phone over having to go to the store and buy it and unpackage it and play one side. But, uh, but it is, it is cool. I mean, I think even, you 
you know, tapes have, have made somewhat of a comeback. I don't know how much that's uh, taken off, but uh, I know I've seen with used record stores where they'll have a tape section. And I don't know that they're doing reissues on those, but I've seen where they're uh, vintage vintage tapes. And, uh, yeah, man, it's great. I mean, it's, a, it's such a fun thing. Heck, you know, Portland again. It's all over. We were out shopping for some lighting and furniture and stuff, and the, the store we were at had – I don't know, 40, 50 records. And my son and I went through every one, you know, and you could, as a customer, even you could play them on there. So that's cool stuff. And they had stuff from two years ago and then they had stuff from 50 years ago. So, and everything in between it's, I think it's, I think it's cool, man. And Hey, however, however music and especially rock music can get out there and I'm all for it. Well, that's what I was saying to uh, my wife when we were out. Cause I, I, um, I think today now with everything just being digital and everything being, well, forget even, uh, downloading now everything's just a, you know yeah. streaming everything's streaming right so i think what it does is it's giving now something tangible someone can touch something you can touch it you can feel it where the generation now it, it's just so electronic now i think just just gives like you said you can look at the cover art it it just it, it's something you can you know uh, touch and feel and and play and, and it's 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 something different and i i said the same thing i said as long as this is creating new fans and because there was a lot of young people in there mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. um oh, and yeah. i'm like this is all classic rock i mean obviously all the new stuff too but i'm like if this is creating more music fans just from exposure and seeing it because um, yep. otherwise you got to search for it, right? Uh, yeah. on, uh, on on Apple Music or whatever. Here you might see something. It's oh wow, and 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 maybe you create some new fans out of it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fun. You know, if you got to fly somewhere, or you got a road trip or something. It's always better to have the uh, phone on your or the music <laughs> on your phone, right? Um, but uh, yeah, we've toyed around with the idea of having a record player. I just think you know we've got enough you know electronics yep. and stuff it just seems like it would it would be one more and uh, my kids don't listen to a whole song on alexa so um you know i don't see their patience for uh for records but uh cool concept and who knows at some point we might get one i don't know yeah right, i'm gonna jump into the next one i'm gonna i'm gonna skip eras a little bit and we're gonna get into the late 80s we're gonna start getting up to where like we were in high school and junior high and and this is a song i'm gonna tell you still probably in my opinion, one of the best guitar riffs and most identifiable sounds. Um, and one of my favorite songs, um, cult of personality by uh, living color. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, mm. you know, and that, that off the album vivid, I remember buying mm. that tape. Uh, they did have, I think it was glamor boys. I think they had mm-hmm. a couple songs off that album that, you know, charted minorly but this this song still stands a test of time and and just you know just uh just that riff is just so identifiable it's just awesome the guitar in that song and and obviously you've got the history you got the world leaders and everything in there but just a just a cool song and that just to me brings me back memories of growing up and so forth and that was speaking of tapes i had that tape i i would jam that out with my walkman just an awesome, awesome song. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one. 
Yeah, so I'm looking here. So it was released in July of '88. See, I was thinking it was a little bit later than that, but um, they uh, I, they may have still gotten back. They may still uh, be reunited, but they got back together a few years ago, and yep. um, I saw them at a festival. I think I was there to see Guns N' Roses. If I'm, I've been to that festival a few times, but uh, I don't remember what year exactly. But um, I I went and saw them. They were on a side stage, and then they, of course they rocked. It, you, know, you know, they people were waiting for. Or cult of personality because yeah I, I think and they had three songs that that i was waiting for but um oh what a what a great song just like you said that uh that 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 guitar and uh, they didn't dress like this at all anymore but back then um the colors the, yeah right the bright colors the dreadlocks um and uh yeah they opened up for for guns and roses um, yeah um back in the day um 89 i believe uh so yeah i think i think that it might just be two of the original members uh, at least when i saw them a few years ago um but uh you know, the guitarist and, and the lead singer i actually uh if you uh eddie trunk and uh, don jameson and um and uh, Jim Florentine had this show on VH1 Classic for years called uh, that metal show, and I remember they were they were on there those two, and it just seemed like cool guys, uh, great musical backgrounds. Um, you know, they had a lot of funk and soul, and then just into just like you know straight straightforward rock, which is what I would consider uh that uh that song and I don't I don't like I said I think I remember a couple other songs from that album. Vivid I think was the name of the album, yep, right? Um, it was. Yeah, so I don't know that I ever even maybe if I borrowed your tape or something I listened to all the songs, but was the rest of the album as you remember pretty pretty uh pretty much just rock and roll? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, no, it was. And they did have a follow-up album. I'm trying to think what that was. Um Time's Up, I think it was. A couple years later, they had a couple songs on there. But, you know, the the guitarist, you know, you know Vernon Reed, you know, he's That's right. he, yep. he's a very well-respected guitarist. Yep. Um yeah. Um, and, and he, he says that, um, basically that song, he's, they're proud of it, not just because of the commercial success, but basically it was, it was written in one rehearsal session. Uh, Jeez. they just kind of stumbled upon, it. <laughs> they were practicing something else. And, uh, next thing you know, uh, they got this, this song. It's really just, I, I, and it's still, I, and, and jumping around back to wrestling. Um, I was still following uh wwe you know really through the uh early 2010s really and um cm punk um he used that as his um his ring entrance song back in uh, i think it was ring of honor well he came to wwf obviously wwf has their own music um that was a big deal he actually used that as his ring entrance song in wwf so for for them to license that uh, it's pretty huge when they're usually uh, they're all uh, self-produced music, you know. Right, right. And yeah, I, just yeah. remember, I just remember hearing that him. It was like 2013 or 14. And I just remember him coming out. That was like, wow, that is because again, just bringing back so many memories and that song. I I just love that song. Yeah, well, and we we talked about the art of the ring entrance music on another podcast, and that you just think of that first that first riff and how it comes in like that is a a great uh, pro wrestling ring entrance song because it's so uh, energizing, I guess. Um, yeah, oh, that's 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 a great one. That that one's going on my mixtape for sure as well. <laughs> that song, they were great live too, man. And, and you know, the other thing too, I don't think I think it was years later when I realized the the uh the the 
with the politics or, or kind of the message b- behind that song. Kind of kind of controversial, right? Sure. Throwing Gandhi and Kennedy, but then like Stalin and uh, you know all these people that at least as as Americans we look at as maybe on different sides of uh, history as far as uh, good or evil, and uh, but just you know throwing it all in this bucket of, of cult of personality, which is uh, you know hey that's that's I don't know that's a cool concept, cool cool uh, topic for for rock and roll song um so i'm gonna okay so since you went there late 80s i'm gonna i'm not i'm gonna go uh go pretty close uh to that time period but with a song i don't think this one probably goes on my mixtape but um and and it's not as cool of a song as called the personality but bad english when i see you smile oh good one yeah 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 so uh that was uh what year did did that come out it was 86 87 something like that um i i so but that was you know the, that song you still see in different um diff- at different times in the uh i don't know tv shows or whatever kind of kind of cheesy right yeah. sort of that that uh, it was i guess it was a power ballad even though uh, I don't know that they were really uh, a rock or you know hair metal or whatever uh, toward a band, but uh, they were um, yeah. But it was it was a big big song. Yeah, it was actually it uh, it came out in September of '89, and it, it yeah, and it did uh, it did peak at number one for two weeks mm. in the fall of '89. <laughs> So we were, uh, so we would have been freshmen in high school, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes, I guess that makes sense. Um, and uh, I saw John Waite was is the lead singer of of Bad English, and then he was also um, he also had that song "Missing You," probably another hit, uh, one hit wonder. In uh, I guess that would have been before maybe eighty eighty five, eighty six, something like that. Then. Um, Am I am I thinking about that? Uh, no, I, I I think you're yeah right around in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I saw him open for somebody. I don't remember what band it was. If it was Billy Squire, no, I think Billy Squire was opening for somebody. I don't remember. Some concert and John Waite was the opener and he sang all these songs and I was like, then he was in the Babies too. Yeah. Which um yeah which which also he was in the Babies with uh, Neil Neil Schoen I think is how you say his name and Journey who I talked about I read his book recently and um guy that guy wrote uh you know like uh, Don't Stop Believing or at least co-wrote and uh faithfully and some great songs and uh in his his story revolved a lot around the babies and then uh, john Waite was was there as well so um yeah this this like i said this opening band he was like the first of like three three artists and i don't remember who it was but um was was headlining but he uh yeah it was like wow i don't know a lot of these a lot of these songs so all right so 1989 when i see you smile yeah, exactly. No, that's a good one. That's a good. Well, I'm going to I don't know if you're going to say this one or not. I was going to kind of wait and it's the same era and you probably could fill in the blanks um, because you know the history of this band backwards and forwards and sideways. And um, I'm going to go with L.A. Guns Ballad of Jane. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Oh, what a shame that happened to Jane. Yep, and so that that was a great song. That was a night. That was again in '89. So again, we're in that area. Yeah. Um, I remember. I don't think I ever got that tape. Um, but it was cocked and loaded. Uh, that song actually charted at number thirty-three, but just a classic. If you want, I gotta say, hairband uh, single. But um, you know, obviously, there's some interesting tie-ins with Guns and Roses with um, Tracy Guns and then actually Axl Rose and so forth. Do you want to kind of elaborate on the history and, and how those those bands kind of were together and then separated and came back together yeah. and separated again? Yeah, yeah. well, it's funny. Uh, L.A. Guns was on the radio uh, recently, and I was with uh, one or both of my kids, or older, my two older kids, and uh, I said, hey, kids, look at the artist up on, you know, on the screen in the car. And they're like, yeah, dad. And I said, do you know what, uh, what that, with the guns in the LA guns, what other band got their name from that? And they're like, Guns and Roses, dad. Um, so you're right. So yeah, Tracy Guns was, he was one, he was out there at the same time as, you know, a lot of Poison and, and, you know, members of Poison, members of Guns and Roses, even, you know, Motley Crue was a little earlier, but you know, the Sunset Strip and all those bands and um so right tracy guns was um there were different different they're all different bands and they were they were swapping at different times band members and whatnot but um yeah the uh, uh tracy guns was um uh you know guitarist and and then uh, uh axel was uh in a band called rose and uh was it hollywood well as, rose was it hollywood rose well, if you go back in the history, there's there were both. There were okay. there was Rose, there was Hollywood Rose. But um, okay. so yeah, when they when they came together and then and then Duff used to be called Duff Rose McKagan, which I think is why it's Rose is. And um and then uh so when Tracy Guns was the guitarist, they came together, so that's why they, they called it Guns and Roses. And um the story goes so Slash and Steve Adler were um they were old old buddies from school and uh Tracy Guns was uh was was guitar and I can't remember who was who who the drummer was that was supposed to go on them. Duff's from Seattle and Duff had booked some um shows for them up in the Pacific Northwest and they were going to have to, um, to, uh, drive up to there from LA with some, I think they had, uh, I can't remember if they had one vehicle or two. I think it was one, they had the gear and there was a truck and it, or a van or something. And it was not very reliable and Tracy guns. I don't know if he came, you know, from a, from a privileged background or something, but he and the drummer both said, we're not, we're not making the, the trip. And then they famously uh, called up Slash and, and and Steven Adler and said, "Hey, can you can you make these dates with us to the Pacific Northwest?" Um, they only made one of, one of the shows, didn't get paid um, uh, because their car broke down. And uh, actually, that's uh, they say that coming back uh, from that trip is when they wrote the lyrics to uh, Paradise City. Uh, really? The uh, yeah yeah they would say you know they would just like it kind of I figure it's something we would do there in the back seats. Take me down to like kind of clap in Paradise City, where some of the some of the original lyrics uh, didn't uh, make it on the aren't as radio friendly. I'll say uh, didn't make it on the uh, didn't make it on the version that we know today. But um, if you read anything in Guns N' Roses history, that's how they 
became solidified those five guys they were like they called it uh the uh well, they, the trip from hell or something like that because they said you know if we can if we could make it up there and back uh we can do anything and it's really a pretty inspirational story i've heard i've heard tracy guns talk about it and doesn't seem that he has lots of regret i guess from it um but uh, anyway, that's that's at least some of the the story of how how the guns and the Guns and Roses came to be. And then, from what I know, Tracy, you know, stayed in L.A. and and got got it to work to have uh, his band. So is 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 is, is that the only? Um, is that the only uh, the hit they had? I guess then. I think they had a few others, but that yeah. was the one that really made the highest. You know, went the highest. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of what other songs I know, but uh, yeah, that's uh, it's uh, just funny. Like we were just talking '89, right? And that this time period with uh, with the uh, the uh, when I see you smile song that I mentioned, and this is you know I, I think back to Tim Williams saying uh, hair metal had to die when it died. Yep. I think some of this is you're kind of seeing why yeah. it was it was. It was very formulaic and very repetitive that these these I mean a great rock band like LA Guns, you know, that Ballad of Jane is what they what they charted with. Um, you know, it's funny, I don't know how well I knew this back in like middle school or high I didn't school. either. I didn't know it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Later on I, I've I've you know really dug into a lot of the hair metal and so forth, but um but it, it's a good song. It's about Jane, uh what's her name? Like Jane Dickinson, <laughs> I think. Right. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think she was. Uh, so I think that's the inspiration of the song. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess a cool song. Um, L.A. Guns is you know as, as close as I am to Guns and Roses and stuff. History. L.A. Guns is a band I've never really gotten into. I know more about like more recently in some of the squabbles they've had. They've got two and maybe now even three different versions of the band that are on tour and stuff. Right. Those, they've had yeah. so much you know people leaving and coming and going in that band. There has I don't think there's been a ton of consistency there. No. Yeah, I think it makes like Queensryche uh, and the stuff they've gone through look normal compared to the stuff Ellie Guns and of course Queensryche, much uh, much more popular band back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, Ellie Guns, I think you can catch one of several lineups at the uh, bowling alley near you, I think. I was reading too, and I don't know if you were aware of this, I was looking look at one of their albums and again, one of their um, versions of the band in 2001. Um Looks like the album Man on the Moon was actually produced by Gilby Clark. Uh, okay. So I know he. Hmm, yeah. So a little bit of uh, in and out there. But yeah, I, I thought it was a good song. Uh, but it is one that, you know, again, probably a true one hit wonder. I mean, they did have other songs. And I do remember people following them in junior high and high school i want to say but i don't remember ever really getting into the music you know yeah well you know we talked about this in an earlier podcast i think of la guns as more of a people wearing their t-shirts or wearing the patch on the leather yes. jacket more than i ever remember their music i agree with you uh, Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, and I don't think i don't know that the average person has any idea that the the guns and guns and roses goes back to back to LA guns. Well, that's why I figured I'd have you elaborate on that one. I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun story. It really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They certainly uh, are more, our LA guns is more, more well known than anything Rose, the band ever did. So sure. 
Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one here and uh, and go back in time a little bit. And this is one where you, again you could argue that there were other hits, but I, I wanted to kind of use this. I show I saw it in lists, and I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about this band a little bit. Is uh, the, the Boys Are Back in Town by by Thin Lizzy? Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. And and I wanted to ask you because. Um, I think I did know Jailbreak because I do think that uh, WCSX, Detroit Classic Rock Station, um, did did play it. Is that how you remember it? They did. They did. Yeah. They did play okay. it, but it was it wasn't play a ton, but it was played. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so it was on the so the boys are back in town was on the album uh, Jailbreak, and um, from '76, uh, uh, I think. And um, what's cool about Thin Lizzy? I've got one more. If we get to a one-hit wonder on my list, that's kind of like this. Is more than um, getting into the band is I've always been mesmerized, or I should say, as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized what an impact they had on so many bands that I love. Um, you know, I think with, uh, with Phil on bass and lead singer, I think, you know, I don't know that that was, was done a lot. They were Irish. Uh, you know, how many, how many bands are, 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 are from Ireland. In fact, uh, my family and I, we, we were in, um, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, this past, or I guess last summer. And, um, <laughs> there's like a rock and Irish rock and roll museum and there are ads all over. And, you know, you had thin Lizzie, you had you too. You know, I'm sure there were yeah. some other artists I, that being an American, I didn't recognize, but as far as who exported to the, to the U S and even thin Lizzie, I would think was, was somewhat limited compared to at a, at a large scale. In fact, I was looking jailbreak the album, uh, which I, I assume it has to be their largest selling album. It's, it's only certified gold, so it never even got certified platinum in the U.S. Um, hmm. um, but uh, but as a song I liked back back in high school, I remember without really realizing who who Thin Lizzy was or where they're from. Um, it's a great. I love the lyrics to it. Um, it's just uh, one of those fun songs, and it's got that almost like this kiss, kiss kind of vibe. And um, you know, as I was studying one of the, I've been listening to Thin Lizzy over the last week or so, but it's one of these bands that I'm like, I gotta really just hunker down and just really start to study and really learn Thin Lizzy because I know as I study them, other bands that I love and I do know things will start to uh, make some more sense to me yeah i don't know a lot about that band either but i know they were a big influence to a lot of bands i mean yeah, you yeah. yeah but i don't know well, a lot about them yeah not to not to bring up guns and roses every five minutes but axel rose has a, a tattoo of of uh of thin lizzie uh, on his arm that uh, i didn't know what it was until you know much i was much older that it was a tribute to uh to uh thin lizzie hmm well, good deal. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to the um, the 90s again. Well, actually, yeah. I believe it was 90 when this song came out. And I think it's it's kind of groundbreaking because it, it, it kind of changed some of the, uh, the style of metal or alternative metal um, at the time for future bands, I think. Um, and it is Faith No More Epic. Oh, yeah. Another good one. 
Ah. Oh. And mm-hmm. um, I just think that was just a different deal. Now, they did have um, on that album, um, what was it? The Real Thing, correct? Real Thing, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did have a couple other songs, but that one, you know, obviously you remember the MTV video. Um, but the song kind of instituting a little bit of, of hip hop rap into the metal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got to believe that had some influence for, um, you know, some of your later bands, you know, like, uh, well, this was even before, remember, Anthrax did I'm the mm-hmm. Man with mm-hmm. uh, Public Emony. I mean, that that was before that. And then you've got, you know, bands like, you know, Limp Biscuit, um, I, I, you know, Linkin Park. I don't know if that was an influence to them, but it was a different sound. Um, and, and that, that, that song was hot for a long time. Um, I remember they actually opened up for the Guns N' Roses Metallica right. uh, tour uh, that I saw at the Silverdome back in 91. But um, just a great song. And, um, you know, that album is a great album. I mean, really, it's a hard album. Um, there's some there's some really good songs on that. But uh, that, that song, obviously, from a chart standpoint, stood out. And um, I think it was a groundbreaking hit. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, I'm glad you brought this one up. What a good song. Um, I'm going to say uh, 10, 12 years ago, I, I remember I was still, you know, you still bought, it's digital, but I bought this album. And I just listened to it for weeks on edge, on end. I, it is, it, some of it's a little dated, but you're right. They were so groundbreaking. And I remember one time we were in, um, I don't know, we were in Europe and on vacation and um, yeah, I love the, you know, I suppose like the British magazines and they're easier to get over there, obviously. And they just do some great articles and there was one on faith no more. And this is like a, I don't know, 15, 20 page article. And I read the whole thing and I learned so much about the band before and after that. And, um, you know, I think they were, they were, con- they were continually uh, changing and there's just, there's a large underground following that just, yes, you know, think they do. They walk on water. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Mike Patton was the lead singer during the epic. Right. Uh, he was during, new. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then and didn't last a lot longer, if I remember. Um, uh, check me on that. What was I it again? Think, what was your question? I, I don't I don't think Mike Patton uh, stayed as lead singer for that much longer after. Um yeah, I'm not sure. I know. Yeah, not sure. I think this this article went through their their history and all kinds of stuff, and they just, you know, almost like a, a David Bowie, but not quite. You know, didn't have maybe the mainstream popularity at least in the states because I think Faith No More is a lot bigger in the the U.S. But or, I'm sorry, in in Europe, but or overseas in general. But um, anyway, anyway, just great band. I have somebody I've admired. Great album. And this song, it is epic. Is ah oh, now see how that one's not my going to be on my. I already have this one. I've I listened to it <laughs> once in a while. But um, I mean, you talk about a good like pro wrestling song and just a song to get you pumped up, man. Uh, that oh, it is so good. And it does it ends in the little little piano thing, right? I mean, it's yeah with the fish and all that. Yeah, that was controversial. Right. Great back in the day. But but just how the sound of that piano and then like you said, the rap and 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 just a lot of different sounds in packed into a you know, a, a radio friendly, MTV friendly song. I mean, that is you don't that just 
you can't come up with something like that if you're not pushing the envelope and trying different things. Exactly. Um, they did come out. You remember the, the the next album they had? They did cover the Commodores, Lana Richie song "Easy." I don't know if you remember that. That did chart. No, it, 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 it high, okay. Yeah, it's a good version. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then falling to pieces. That was the other song on that album that had a little <laughs> yeah. bit of play, but obviously it didn't have the success. Yeah. It, it you know, yeah. But just I thought that was a good one to mention. Yeah. Oh, that's man. <laughs> oh, I. I remember just re- there's a Starbucks I used to always go to, and this guy actually he and I went to a Springsteen concert once, and we hung out a little bit. And he was an artist; he was great. He was he was a great guy. I remember he was like, "Hey, Steve, so what you listening to?" One time, I'm like, "Dude, I've been addicted to uh, the Real Thing by Faith No More." And he was like, "Huh?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is again ten years ago or something. Uh, but just such a such a good good album, mm. and what a great video too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'll uh, maybe I'll stay in the kind of that thin Lizzy kind of kind of realm and um, and and pull one out that's similar to Thin Lizzy in my mind. In that uh, uh, T Rex. Oh yeah. Bang a gong. Bang a gong. Um, uh, there was a cover version like in the eighties, I think was my, my first exposure to that song. And I can't even remember who, who sang it, but, um, you know, T-Rex, I think really, uh, I first realized, uh, who, who they were was when, uh, when Roger Daltrey sings to the sound of old T-Rex yep. oh, and when I say I love you, you say you better. Um, and uh, and so if you if you read, especially British uh, British music history, they were another one of those bands that really uh, influenced a lot of a lot of other artists. Uh, but I think technically you could say they were in the States were, were a bit, a bit of a one, one hit wonder. And they were around for about 10 years. See, I didn't realize that they were around for, for that long. Um, uh, but you know, Mark Bolin is, is the, uh, was the guitarist. And I, I think he sang at least some of the songs as well. And he died in I think a car accident, um, and uh, but if you ever read, I know he plays into Bowie, uh, you know, Bowie's career and, and lots of other artists. I think they were one of those bands that was always pushing the envelope, um, which pushed pushed other bands. Um, I don't honestly know a ton about the band. Um, and I think they're a bit eclectic. So to, you know, to actually to, to really go and, and try to study them is, is, you know, is probably a bit, uh, bit uh, 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 arduous. But um yeah, Big Gong, good, good song. You know, I don't know if I would say it's it's the greatest song ever or anything, but it's a song that I think is a classic rock staple, and um, and uh, yeah, just a fun song from a from a band that doesn't probably get the recognition in the states that that they should. Sure, sure. Well, good. Um, I'm going to give you a couple honorable mentions here. I, I, I don't have a ton of information on the bands, but it's going to stay in probably that that uh, 80s, you know, hair type of uh, genre there. I'm going to give you three of them here and um, just love, love these songs. Uh, well, the first two I love. The first, this third one's not bad. Is... Um, Turn up the radio by autograph. Oh yeah, that's a good song. 
Yep. Um, that came out in 84. Uh, the next one, uh, <laughs> by the, it's another power ballad and we've got don't close your eyes by kicks. Oh yeah. That's oh yeah. That's another, <laughs> oh, that's another one. I'm not going to joke with a former coworker about that song. <laughs> um, graduated the same year as me and I'm like, Hey, you listening to some kicks lately? Uh, well, cold, cold, cold shower, cold shower. Wasn't that their other, uh, quote unquote hit? Uh, but, um, yeah, let me. So, when did that come out? Did, do you know when uh, "Don't Close Your Eyes" came out? The album '88. Yeah, and then the, the, it's yeah. actually on the album "Blow Your uh, Blow My Fuse," which was a charting song for them. "Blow My Fuse." Um, I don't remember that one. Yeah, um, but obviously, "Don't Close Your Eyes" is their is their biggest hit. Um, but yeah, that came out '88. Yeah, well, it, it, the album came out in '88. Looks like the the, the 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 single "Don't Close Your Eyes" came out in '89, I think. Um, which I think what we're we're starting to narrow in on, you know, <laughs> why Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder um, <laughs> were, <laughs> were able to take over because, um, wow, there was a lot of this stuff that uh, I don't know doesn't hold was a little soft and, and doesn't doesn't hold up. See, I actually like that song. I know this these songs can become mockeries. <laughs> I actually really like that song. That's why it's on my list. Oh, I it's it's listen, I've got it, you know, I've got it in my library. Um and it is a good song. <laughs> um well, and then, yeah. and then the next one um would be uh this was actually 82 and um it's a Canadian artist, Aldo Nova. Fantasy I- I had this on my on my list as well. You do, um, City, yeah. City nights. <laughs> uh, so so I was I was researching this song a little bit. Um, and here's all here's why. And, and I think I, I think um, wherever I was reading this, it it, it it hit it right on the head. I remember this song because as a kid, what year did this come out? Like eighty two, eighty two. Yeah, this is like eighty. That? This is eighty two. Eighty two, okay. eighty three, probably. Yeah. And it has that video game uh, sound effect opening with like a helicopter. Yeah, he, you know what I'm talking he about. He gets off the helicopter, doesn't he? Like in some, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I think it kind of, you know, it's probably done in keyboards, which you know is very much with with the time and everything. And then it's a. I listened to it the other day. It's a great. It's a great rock song. Um, what I read though was it said this song is a blatant ripoff of the uh, the melody of of Jane by Jefferson Starship. Really? Um, yeah, which is actually a, a Wet Hot American Summer, I think. It was like, I think a movie, but there's a Netflix series I watched, and that was the opening of, the, of that show anyway. So I got kind of reacquainted with, with that song a few years ago. And my point is, uh, that person, whoever said it, they were right on. I mean, it is... It is so you got the the Aldo Nova has got the other than that, if you just if you take that out and you just go with the guitars, it's it is very, very uh, similar. And of course, though, I think when I was a kid, I would hear Jane by Starship and think, oh, this is the video game song. But I was confused because they were I think they were were so close. But regardless, it uh, 
life is just a fantasy. Yes. Love and a fantasy love. Yeah, it's yeah. And, and that's 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 a good song. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had to actually look this up because I had it in my head when I was doing this show for some reason. I it was a song. It was like you know, you have those heads popping around. I was like, I can't. I don't know who's saying it, and I, I know it says fantasy, but it was in my head. I was humming it, but I couldn't get it down. I had had to really kind of get some work to locate it because I couldn't grasp it, you know. But uh, I knew <laughs> I knew the tune, and I knew it, and I finally I finally was able to. Oh yeah, yeah, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because that was on my list too. Huh? You have any others on your end? No, I think we we pretty much uh, we pretty much covered everything that uh, that I wanted to. Um, yeah, I'm good. Oh, hey, I did want to say really quick. Um, I, I mentioned the Bangagong cover, uh, so that was and this this all made sense. So this was uh, it was Power Station in like '84, '85, and uh, Robert Palmer was in Power Station, so. Um, uh, I knew there was some some connection, and so anyway, I, what he's got a great voice. I, I think he passed away, but um, um, he anyway um, on Power Station was who covered covered that song in the the early to mid mid eighties. Well, good deal. Um, I did have one other one, and I mean, I was going to hold off, but I'm like, it's really more Detroit, I guess, and um, not, not the not the group by any means, but just relating to the uh, Detroit area growing up. And I had to put out there the song. I mean, it's still played today. Uh, the final countdown by Europe, <laughs> and the and the reason I've got it there is because of the Detroit because of the Pistons. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's just well, synonymous with the Pistons in the Bad Boy era. Um, you know, I bought that tape specifically because it. of the Pistons. I mean, yeah. and and that song apparently was actually originally the plan was to to produce that song to be a concert opening because of the because of the you know the entry and everything the spaceship yeah, type yeah, sounding yeah, yeah 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 and um it didn't expect to be a hit they're a swedish band of course the the song yeah. carrie um that song yeah. actually i think charted higher than final countdown i think it went to three but that's a song <laughs> that still stands strong is it is it my favorite song in the world no uh, but i think just in that era and then you know being related to the pistons and 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 just and again, they started playing it again, even in the, um, you know, the early 2000s when they were making their run, then they kind of yeah. reintroduced yeah. it. So it's, it's been synonymous. It's kind of a soundtrack for the Pistons. Yeah. Oh, my kids know that song. I think it's still, uh, it's, it's still around and, um, and weren't they on like a Geico commercial? Yes. In was they were in the microwave. Ago. They were in the microwave. Because the guy was waiting for his, uh, he's waiting for his lunch to heat up. It was the final <laughs> countdown. And uh, I, because I know, I think they still tour. Because I think I've, I've seen them, I've seen them advertise or whatever. But um, oh, I had that tape. In fact, um, uh, Andy Sandberg from Saturday Night Live, he had a movie of um hot rod i think it was called and it was a uh it was like a, was it a motorcycle race or car racing movie i don't know that it did a whole lot but this was a long time ago because i think we rented it and uh, brought it home and uh and i'm like getting into the movie i'm like 
hey, is every song on the soundtrack off of uh, the, the Final Countdown uh, album? <laughs> Cherokee, right? Cherokee right. is on there. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, what else you what else are you going to play Nerf, uh, Nerf basketball in your bedroom to right. other than the final countdown? Exactly. I mean, you had to have that tape. You had to have that tape so you could play Nerf, Nerf hoop too. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great one. I, I, I think it's, like I said, I mean, I think it's still, still known and it's all about like aliens, right? Like, uh. We're leaving together. I guess they're yeah. going out into outer space. Uh, still, it's farewell and whatever. It's the final countdown. But um, it's uh, yeah. Hey, that's a great song. It was actually inspired by David Bowie's uh, "Space Oddity." Okay, I, which makes, that makes sense. sense. Makes sense, right? But yeah, I think going yeah. back to basketball, yeah. I mean, I think in my driveway, uh, we talked about in the, a couple podcasts ago. I probably had "Injustice for All" Metallica. <laughs> I might have had some MC Hammer, which we haven't talked about yet on this call, and I, and I had uh, probably Europe Final Countdown. Those are my problems. Well, you, you know, you talk about the Pistons, um, and uh, so was it Alan Parsons' project? I don't know the name of that song that uh, the Bulls would come yeah. into, you know, another yeah. well, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came into that song, yep. too. Um, but didn't, uh, you know, so did the Bulls uh, copy off the Pistons? Or the Pistons probably copied off the Lakers or who knows. But, um, you know, I, if I think back chronologically, I would think the Pistons had that uh, final countdown first. And the Bulls, I mean, that was a huge part of their image, right, was coming into that, uh, into that, into that, that Ellen Parsons song. Yeah, and I don't know if the Pistons actually at the time shut the lights off because they were in the dome. I don't know if they would ever come back on. But mm. um, but I know that was like the next chapter was like I remember like they would shut the lights off when the Bulls were introducing. Um, yeah. So that was kind of now everyone does it. <laughs> but right. well, at the time right. it was huge, right? You know, it's it's funny you think of those those NBA uh, intros and everything, and how far they've come. It's kind of like pro wrestling, you know. Back when we were watching it, you know, there'd be uh, some guardrails, and they would just come down the aisle. You know, now they they're shooting off, you know, you know, two hundred thousand dollars of fireworks before the guy even uh, starts walking down the aisle. Uh, and and the same with NBA, right? I mean, it's this whole production. But you think back to the Pistons games, and man, I remember being at some of those, and uh, it was it was still exciting, but man production value was was nothing compared to where it is today no absolutely well good steve i think we're good on time today um next week eagles now for the fans out there uh listeners um there's a chance this could be a two-part episode uh we're not going to make you sit through a three-hour podcast there is a chance (laughs) we get going with our special guests this may take some time if that does happen we will break these up into a couple episodes for sure yeah i can see it going that way yeah well good well hey steve Steve, thanks for the time today. It was fun. I want that mixtape UPS once you get it done. Um, I want to get all those songs right in front of me so I can put it in my cassette player here. But, uh, hey, thanks. It was fun. Uh, Till uh, next week, uh, you have a good rest of your week. Everyone out there, enjoy your week. Take care. Well, thanks for joining us today, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Remember When. Tell us how we're doing. We would love your feedback. Please give us a rating online. Tell your friends and family about us. We are really looking to grow this podcast, and we hope everyone's enjoying it. 
Don't forget to hit subscribe on the podcast you're listening to so you can get regular updated episodes sent directly to you. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time, we will see you at Remember When. This podcast features a song, Take the Lead, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.